I'm going to give you two different opening options. Okay. Ready? Option one. Drew, we watched Hellraiser 2022. Now it's time to decide if it was a pain or if it was a pleasure. What's option two? Well, Drew, it's Halloween time. We've got our microphones up. It's not an episode of Back Again. So let's find out if setting up for this review was a pain or pleasure. Do you have a pitch that's not pain or pleasure? No. All right, and welcome everybody to another Halloween edition of Reboot Review. As always, I'm Matt. I'm Drew. And yeah, we're in the middle of the Back Again podcast right now, but we decided to shift gears a little bit and do not four episodes or three episodes, but just one episode this year. Not even two, just one this year. Uh, Edition of Reboot Review. And today we are doing the reboot to the 1987 Hellraiser, and we are doing 2022's Hellraiser. Beautiful. Isn't it? It's really nice. You can hold it. What is it? It's a puzzle. And it's almost finished. Keep going. So if I solve it, do I get a prize? I do. Yeah, so when we're talking about reboots and the reboots that we've done so far on this podcast, here we are with Hellraiser. It's interesting that they even make this because I feel like if we're if we're talking about like rebooting source material, because I know because I know the source material is a book, but when we're talking about like rebooting Hellraiser, you have to go back and be like, well, what's that first Hellraiser about? And it's such a I feel like unique like genre or story type to try to reboot. And to be honest, when what we'll get to is they're not, it's more of a reimagining. So they're not really rebooting uh, Clive Barker's Hellraiser in 1987. They're doing a reimagining of the original source material from the book. So right, right off the bat, it's a different reboot review, but it's, it's also still interesting of how these studios try to reboot these monsters around Halloween time to, I don't know, maybe give it a second breath of life. Well, just to make some money, cash in on old properties that they haven't been doing anything with. Well, how do you make money off that? Because like you were saying when we were watching last night, it didn't get released in the theaters. This is streaming. So how does like the box office even return to that? I think that's all information or numbers that the company just keeps private. And if it does well enough, we'll see a sequel. If it doesn't, then we won't. I do know that it was probably produced for relatively cheap because I noticed when it was done rolling and they were doing all the credits, the entire crew, I think they were Serbian based. So they shot this definitely out of the country for probably relatively cheap. Well, it definitely feels like it's shot out of the country. I mean, they say they start in Serbia and then they go to Massachusetts, Massachusetts, and then I don't remember where. But there's they no say, style change. Well, I just don't. Well, yeah, that. But I also don't remember where we pick up with our protagonist. With which, which is, what is her name? Our main character's name is Riley. I believe that she is still in Massachusetts as well. I believe the whole. Well, Massachusetts, oh, the, because that's where because they're able to Boyd. go to the guy's house. Yeah. Yeah. The whole movie looks very kind of like. I don't know, like more like gothic and stuff because it's dealing with a lot of mansions. But even like the the rural areas that they go to, I don't know. It's, it doesn't look like actual Massachusetts. It looks like it's in a different country. Exactly, sure. yeah. And th- just the way it's shot as well is very clean. It gave me flashbacks because we did it for the show earlier um, of the Martyrs reboot where you mm-hmm. have original, the original film is very grungy. In the case of Martyrs, it was grungy because it was deliberate. In the case of Hellraiser, it's kind of grungy because it was shot in the late 80s. Um, but now you just have this really crisp clean reboot and it's interesting because stylistically they tr- 
kind of lean into that. Like you, they're shooting it kind of cleanly intentionally, but there doesn't really seem to be a deeper reason as to why they're doing it that way. This isn't a clean. When you say clean, what do you mean? Do you mean like the, like all the shots look very like- They're clean, like they're digital. Like they're very clearly digital. Oh, I, I mean, I thought that they were using that to try to hide all the C CGI that they were doing. Possibly. Like, like everything in the movie, I thought, like I didn't think the movie necessarily looked good. I thought it looked very like dark. When it's, when you're watching on the TV, there's just a lot of like shots where you don't really see the depth within the frame. It's yeah. just very blurry and it's just dark. And yeah, you can see the person in front of you, but there was a lot of like dark brown, gray undertones. And I think they're doing that to like hide CGI because they they hide CGI and like out of focus shots, like in the background or in the foreground of something, um, which I think is a clever trick to kind of like have a cheaper approach towards doing like those visual effects. But overall, I didn't think the movie had any kind of unique look to it. Whereas, and I feel like uh, Clive Barker's Hellraiser in 1987, like, yeah, that looks maybe more grungier, like, you know, more like an 80s movie, but there's also like, there's a look to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when you do see the gore and the blood, it's very visceral. Whereas in, in this, it never looked really intimidating because it you could just tell it was just like, well, how good are these visual effects going to be? And that's essentially what every re reboot's going to be that's got horror in it. But I, I don't know. I just, I expected there to be CGI Hellraiser blood and that's what we got. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, it's exactly. The blood is CGI and it sucks that they're doing a reboot, a Hellraiser reboot and the blood looks fake because that's something you can't do. But it's also then that, that's what determines the look of the movie as well because when they're going for this dark moodier realistic look if anything i thought that that's how the world looks when we're with riley but then once the cinnabites come out maybe like a different style kind yeah. of turns on to kind of because she's a drug addict to kind of like lift it up but they do it uh, with the visuals but not with the lighting or the camera work it's all reliant on the set design to kind of understand or maybe not even understand but to kind of decide what we like or don't like about this reboot we should go back and talk a little bit about 1987's hellraiser and you know th that was my second time seeing it i know that you like the franchise uh quite a bit i've seen it a few times yes yeah and you know i don't think that these hellraiser movies are like i, th I don't think they're considered like the greats of horror but i do think that they have found their own little pocket in horror history of being cult classics because of just how unique they are and how uh i don't know i guess just weird <laughs> the hellraiser series is but uh for the sake of this conversation let's just focus on the 1987 the first hellraiser and it's like what is what is that story about that well, story is about it breaks down into two things essentially which is what is the gimmick of the puzzle box and then what is the actual emotional story about well even if it just comes down to those two things which is this box opens up a portal to angels slash demons that are sent here to make you experience extreme pain or pleasure right it's like a calling you you twist it a certain way and they come to you that you like summon them almost if you will. yeah um and it's, this, it's like a pager yeah and this power falls on the hands of a man who's obsessed with pain or pleasure and, and he, frank frank and he accesses the cinnabites he gets taken away but he does this in his mother's house. So that way when later, when his brother and his new wife uh, come to the house. Brother and the brother's wife, the main characters. So when they come to this house and then when some accidental blood slips on the floor, it's able to, uh, I don't know, what conjure up the old spell from the box and bring Frank back. It calls Frank back. Yeah, it calls yes. Frank back essentially. And what we find out is that Julie and Frank have been having an affair and she's so in love with him, or I guess maybe just experiencing so much lust that she decides to help him regenerate by killing men and then feeding him to Frank so he can like suck up their bodies or whatever. 
there's a lot of themes of the movie that kind of coexist with like the Cenobites and the actual like pain and pleasure and sexuality and all this kind of stuff. But essentially you have like a perfect storm of just like greater worldly circumstance of the box and the Cenobites. And then also being like, well, she wouldn't go through with it if she also wasn't a little fucked up herself. And I'm talking about Julia right yeah. now. But there's, that's the second. Everybody's just kind of fucked up and everyone's doing fucked up things. And then there's these actual metaphors of that with the Cenobites that are kind of reinforcing the themes of the movie by like you know extreme pains extreme pleasures extreme fucked up things it's a lot of interesting things about it and it's also well like made well yeah that's the two things you have about it where you have this cenobites and the puzzle box being the lore element and then you have the human element being the fact that it's happening to a family unit so you're that's kind of like the lens where it's like because you know if you're just watching about the cenobites you don't know what the fuck's going on well, but when you include the family drama you have your in for the audience well that was why the first time i viewed the first hellraiser i was a little thrown off because i thought the movie was about pinhead because that's how i'd always seen throughout history so if you're watching the first hellraiser looking for pinhead there's very little pinhead yeah it's just a good horror movie because you have you're spending time with human characters well it's a weird horror movie for sure well, it's a weird it. movie in general i probably enjoyed it more on second viewing because i knew what it was going into it so i was able to see the story kind of play out a little better and yeah it it's it's an interesting movie on that front but it's still a weird movie with how like i don't know and he's like rubbing his fingers on her lips and stuff like that in the attic and she's so in love with frank and you know frank's played by three different actors yeah. essentially a really critical but funny scene in hellraiser 1987 is when the daughter kirsty uh summons the cenobites for the first time and then you just have this scene of her just immediately being like who are you and they just kind of explain who they are and it's then an we, exposition dump. exposition dump and then we get the whole gimmick across of like well i know where frank is i'll bring you him and stuff like that and the cenobites are like okay it's a big crux we're not talking too much about the first one but that is a big crux of the first movie and it is like really just blown over in like half a scene of just talking really fast well it's also things that i, I like that scene but i because it's very like we don't care we're just jumping right into it yeah. but then when we get to the end she's like defeating them by like pressing down on the buttons on the puzzle and they just kind of like you know evaporate or whatever it's a little like underwhelming so I don't think the movie ends very strong in that regard for how she defeats them yeah. but I don't mind the tongue-in-cheek way of going about just this whole underworld and about them and how like they just show up and now how we're seeing that through the lens of a teenage girl i mean i give it like out of five stars i give the first one like two and a half really that's it yeah because i think it's all the pieces are there i just think it ends pretty weak to be honest i don't know it's, it's very vague a little bit too it's not amazing but i think the the movie itself like the making of it is what makes that movie good the story i think is just fucking like kind of weird abstract is the word you're looking for sure but like you said it's very metaphorical it's uh you're experiencing it's not just that you're experiencing these weird cinnabites and what they stand for it you're experiencing it through these through this family so now it's like now we jumped into 2022 and they're not going to be doing it through that lens of like people that i mean they still kind of do because they start the movie with a rich guy who's trying to experience like some kind of uh euphoric experience that he can purchase with his wallet or just like access with like his resources right which is why i think it stands out as a reboot 
because in the first one you have a lot of focus on the rules of the puzzle box but at the end of the day it's just Kirsty smacking it and it doesn't look like she's using it right but this plot's still progressing i feel like that's part of why it feels so the end of the original feels so lazy is because she's not doing anything clever she's just hitting the puzzle box and that's doing what the plot needs to Mm -hmm. end in this one the rules of the box are a lot more precise in this one just to set it up there's six different configurations to the box that was eight or maybe there's eight yeah six or eight it's a handful and each one requires on top of solving the puzzle for that configuration uh a blood sacrifice Mm -hmm. so you have to kill you know you stab someone and then or blood is spilled and whoever's blood is spilled is taken by the cenobites once all the configurations have run their course and you're on the final configuration, the last sacrifice grants you a reward Mm -hmm. in the form of one of the configurations. But it's like a monkey's paw situation where what you ask for isn't exactly what you get. Yeah. So the setup for the beginning of the film is rich guy who's essentially the Frank stand-in has the last configuration. He needs one last person to sacrifice for the reward. And he gets the monkey's paw prize what he didn't actually want and then the film is about him orchestrating another series of sacrifices so that he can get another you know summon the cenobites one more time it's unclear what his real motivation is i think he just wants an audience with them to ask them to change the gift back well what does he even wish for the first time after he does the eight configurations he asks for a sensation because he's the frank stand and so he wants the bodily pleasures the bodily pleasures is so vague to the sense of like, you know, it makes sense in the 1987 version because he's a drug addict. He's not a drug addict who wants, that's the thing. But, the whole, but the, that's he, one he, of the metaphors. He, he the goes movie. after the drugs for the sensation. It's not he's a drug addict who then, you know what I'm saying? It's no, I'm effect. saying he is by by definition an addict. And when Frank is an addict, that's what that's where it takes you. And Julie is also an addict as well. Like the, there's themes of the first movie that have to do with like, I mean, addiction is definitely one of them. Yeah. But when we get to the 2022 version, he does the eight steps at the beginning of the movie, like you said, or the eight configurations. And then he, we find out later that what he was asking for was just sensation. So what they do is they put a device in his chest that strings up all his uh, nerve, veins nerve and nerves. And, yeah. But it just causes him like nonstop pain. Yeah. Essentially. But they address that. That it was good or bad. That that wasn't what he really wanted. Because that's you had a good point where you were saying that Frank and Julia were both, or at least Frank, we'll focus on Frank. He was like a drug addict. Like he wanted the mm. physical sensation. So it made sense when the Cenobites came after him and then granting him what he wanted. And then it makes sense that that's what the first film's about. The problem is that this main uh, antagonist, Voight, I think that's how you say his name, mm-hmm. isn't seeking this pleasure sensation like frank is he's not addicted to pleasure or sensation like that he wants something else yeah and it's clever because the movie circles back and addresses that that ends up being i think that's that's what's confusing about it or a little bit misleading is that they set up the cenobites to be these dispensers of pleasure and pain but the frank character is not pursuing pain or pleasure he's pursuing power Mm -hmm. so what's it seems like they almost well, like set up the movie on a mis- on, on a misdirect. To get into the plot a little bit with our protagonist. Yeah, we, we need have, to talk about Riley. Yeah, we have Riley and we have Matthew. And Matthew and Riley are siblings the same way that Frank and what, I don't remember his brother's Larry. name. Larry are also siblings. One of them's got a drug addiction. It was Frank. Now it's Riley. There's just, I think, similarities in just like the character traits, but they don't execute them, obviously. 
we've seen this time and time again where we're going to meet a group of young adults there's dynamics there's different sexual orientations there's a relationship that's inside the group like a brother and sister or something essentially like one of them is going to be a troubled person and they're all going to have to pay the price for that and i and i'm so sick of seeing like these reboots where it's like young adults that are always running away from something even or they're bleeding and running away from something like when we were in the third act and like riley and matt's boyfriend i don't remember his name is yeah he ends up being like one of the final people yeah when they're like just like running or like slowly going into the mansion Voigt's mansion and like the Cenobites are just very very calmly following them like that kind of stuff I think is just so boring and I'm so like done with because the Cenobites can like they don't need to like walk slowly unless they're that's like them experiencing like the joy of the pain of like these people running away scared but they can just like <laughs> well that's part they of just thing. pop up the, anywhere there are rules and the whole thing is this is that's what the movie's about it's about these characters causing harm to each other the cenobites are not there really maliciously doing anything this is all about riley making a mistake and other people suffering for it and this is just the most literal metaphor of that essentially yeah. it's it's very similar to the family dynamic in the original hellraiser now what i don't think works about these young adult characters is that you don't have a family connection like you do in the first one when we were watching this i was bored a lot in the first half mm -hmm. and i kept wondering like why am i bored the characters aren't necessarily boring the actors aren't necessarily doing a bad job the problem is these characters don't have any meaningful connection to each other there's no character relationships your final group is the riley her boyfriend who we find out had betrayed her and then her brother's boyfriend colin they have no they don't develop a relationship riley and colin they don't have a relationship to start with it's almost like it would be a gag where it's like oh we're the last two alive mm -hmm. the, the problem is the characters don't start with a bond or a connection to each other and they don't develop one along the way the only one you have is riley and matt the siblings but then matt dies he's one of the first victims yeah. that's the goal of the film is riley has to solve the configuration so she can get a resurrection but then that only connection is severed when matt dies first well he dies but then he also goes away and i thought if i think anything, the idea is he's dead and the going away is like a metaphor no i know but i thought if anything they were going to try to recreate the beats of the first hellraiser by somebody coming back and essentially having that power over you to say do this for me i thought that's what they were going to do with void i thought void was going to be like undead I didn't know that he oh, was still just alive. If anything, I thought Matthew was going to be the one that's trying to get Riley to go visit all these people. And then when they die, he's essentially like feeding off of them or something. No, because like if they did that, they would have done that early on. Yeah. When they didn't do that immediately, I knew they weren't going to do it at all. Well, it's also, you know, the only interesting dynamic between these characters is the relationship between Matt and Riley. And it is... But it's like non-existent. It's not existent but that one scene where they yell at each other, that's what I think the front half of the movie should have been more of. Instead yeah, exactly. of all these other characters. It should have just been the two of them. And maybe they have partners or they have relationships outside of it, but they're not like living in like an incubator together. It's just like, these are other people that are in our lives, but it's really about, it's about us. You yeah, know? The, these um, tangent characters that they have just to die do not have any personality and it's very unfortunate because the characters of the first hellraiser you care about 
And in this one, it's literally just that trope of they just need to be bodies so that they can die. And so I don't even know if I care about them. I think they're just better. They just have more interesting traits or maybe just the way that Clive Barker decides to like showcase them is more interesting. Whereas in how many times are we going to see like young adults struggling with money, struggling with addiction and like everybody's like wearing flannel shirts and, you know, the guy that Riley's dating or banging like we we they justify why he has like such a nice flat. But when they presented that flat to us at the beginning like and i don't even know if they were doing that because they don't ever like reference it about like like riley never says like man your place is amazing yeah exactly like, there's never he just happens to have this amazingly nice flat but again that's kind of addressed later when we find out that Voight's using it and that's why i said it's justified but it's still not interesting because it's just like attractive people with problems and yeah. what i would like to see if they were going to do a reboot is why not lean into the fact that in 1987 they are picking at least a unique family situation to some extent, but they are also somewhat normal people. So by the time when uh, Larry uh, gets killed in 1987 Hellraiser, I think that that's a pretty like big like moment yeah. um, because even though we've seen all these other schmoes kind of get killed by Julia, like she was always trying to protect him too. Like there's just a lot of like good balance back and forth with that yeah. first one. Whereas in this, it's like why don't you give us some regular people or people who don't have quote unquote what we think are problems which yeah. is always just money and, and drug addiction like it'd be far more interesting to see it's it's like the get out scenario you take a rational character uh and then you put him in a situation that's crazy and then when he's reacting we're rooting for him because he's doing all the stuff that we would do but this character is completely irrational because she is a drug addict so she is you know when she starts seeing things it's not no i was seeing things you need to listen to me it's yeah. oh i was seeing things that was probably the drugs you were on well there's a silliness to these 1980s uh final girls like kirsty to where there's a silliness to to kirsty kind of being so confident confident and able to get stuff done but it also works in that movie because you're dealing with so many irrational people mm. that since she's rational it justifies why she's able to, to quote unquote get stuff done well but, I, I think what it is is there because there's so many irrational people who are just motivated by like lust and emotion so that when we see someone who's motivated by like logic or goodness and purity mm -hmm. like we want to see them be confident so Ab it's like a cheering moment absolutely and then so now we look at the 2022 version you don't get characters like that. What you get are broken characters mm -hmm. that are don't trying change. to... Yeah, and, and they don't change. They don't get better. You would assume that there's... Well, I mean, they're going on some kind of arc of like, you know, by the end of the movie in 2022 Hellraiser, she's like, I'm not going to continue doing this like i don't i don't want the gift that you guys want to give me and she's talking to pinhead and all the cinnabites she goes i don't need anything and she could have had the opportunity to bring matthew back and like you said it probably wouldn't have been how it was but to be honest it's like okay so this addict learned to stop that's the metaphor I've like I'd re I prefer Evil Dead 2013 when they did this addict game exactly too. yeah and there's no there's no logic thinking when it comes to I mean yeah Riley's coming up with plans and she's realizing like oh if I stab them like I can you know do this and I can also make a wager with them and say like you know blah 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 she's she's being she, smart she's not an idiot what I would also connect it back to is Frank the main instigator of the original you have directly tied to the core cast because mm -hmm. he is the father's brother in this one Voight has no connection to the main cast he is literally just a a MacGuffin mm -hmm. for her to go after and research um it turns out that it was orchestrated by her boyfriend Trevor so yeah. there's those there's those smart connections but there's no emotional connections and it's almost like a joke 
or it's almost like not a joke but maybe like referenced because the one time a character expresses emotion in this movie is the it's riley and trevor's introduction they're fucking and he says i love you and she shuts him down yeah so that essentially sets the precedent for this whole film there's no emotion there's no character connections that, that are meaningful and that never there, comes back then that never comes back yeah. yeah so there is it this is a cold logical and effective movie you can take that however you want but that doesn't necessarily make it enjoyable to watch for two hours but here's what they could have done what they could have done is had all these people living together in an apartment and reveal that they're all friends or related that have met in rehab yeah okay something so, so they're young adults sure but because times are tough and money's tight they all decide to live together now it's been a couple years since they've been in rehab a lot of them are getting better but they're concerned because riley is relapsing a lot they're covering for her financially they're covering for her emotionally and it's getting to a point where it's like hey you gotta like we don't all want to go down with you so now now, when the Cenobites and all this stuff kind of comes into play, the movie can be about addiction and decisions. And we can understand why each one of these friends of Riley end up getting like taken or just like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of this stuff could have been more character and theme driven. But instead, what do we get? We get Riley and we get the boyfriend. It's just like I've seen this so many times and I really think that this is going to be forgotten. In the same way the grudge was, and the same way that, you know, I think the new child's play is gonna be forgotten. They're rebooting these monsters from the eighties and the nineties, and they're they're just not understanding why people like those originals. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, I don't think you can recreate what made those successful in the first place. Because... I think you can. Just circling back, because I want to cap off this character conversation. Just when you have uh characters like this, you have Matt being the heart of the movie. You have Matt being the heart of the movie. He's the first one to die. Yeah. He's the only one who has any emotion. And it sounds like what you were essentially saying was all the feelings that he had toward Riley needed to be spread out among the other characters too. Because when he's gone, there is no connection. Nora, the roommate, God knows how I remember her name. Yeah. But she had nothing to do. Yeah. She had no character relationship. She had no personality. She's literally just there to die. And it's unfortunate because, again, going away from character for a little bit, when it comes to the monsters and the deaths and the, you know, what you're actually here for, that's interesting i think that saves the movie but still like you can't really talk about that that's either it's good or it's bad in this case it's good great but you don't have characters or story or anything connecting to have those set pieces essentially linked together well i know for a fact that matt was the only person that brought us emotionality in the movie or at least the only person that i really cared about because at the end of the movie when she decides not to bring him back i literally said to you i was like what the hell she's not gonna bring matt back he's the only one that can yeah, like matter but but i know that logically that doesn't make sense because they're not going to bring that back that's a sign right there that i clearly only care about that dynamic and that relationship between brother and sister so even if you do this uh thing that i'm pitching which is making all the roommate all the roommates addicts you can still have matt be the one person that decided to bring them all in it just gives them all a nice kind of like sheen of uh they should have done the mutants thing or the new mutants where they're all in like the half it's not a halfway home but whatever that place is yeah i mean hellraiser in like a psychiatric ward yeah or they did the chucky one they did with the chucky that. one with that they could have done that with this and i'm pretty sure like hellraiser 2 takes place at least at the beginning in a psychiatric yeah, ward. In a yeah. Psych ward. so i mean if those are the characters and like you kind of expected at this point with reboots that the characters are just gonna suck i mean honestly if the studios well are... that's the thing is some don't i was a big reason i was excited about 
this reboot was because Prey did so well, or it, and it just was generally good. It didn't suffer from these character shortcomings. So I was like, okay, great. It's another big franchise being rebooted by Hulu. But that's if a rare. Prey was good. This should be good too. Prey's a rare movie because that's also done by uh, Dan Trachtenberg. Well, this had a good, relatively good team behind it creatively. No, I'm not. I'm not saying they didn't. I just think there was more unique voice because they had already shown like they're doing different spins on things before. Whereas in, I've never heard of this director before. I don't know what uh, they've he, done. He did a few horror movies. Okay. I think just in general, like I don't think it's a poorly directed movie. I just think the look of it is is boring, and and I think they're only putting on that kind of look to hide CGI in certain areas and to try to make the Cenobites be kind of scary. But if we've already talked about the characters, I think now's a good time to talk about Mama Pinhead and the Cenobites. Yeah, and just going in, just touching on look real quick, it is so strange that they tried so hard to make it look sleek and clean when the first one was so grungy. Yeah. It, the first it, one's it, all like kind of like leatherheads. Yeah. Like they're all like, like BDSM, you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, Pinhead's like a leather daddy, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> but uh, And this with, one, they really downplay that. There's no leather and yeah. um, in this one they're just kind of like it's all about like nerves and uh skin being pulled back and stuff in the 1987 version we open with this with the cinnabites yeah so we kind of already established now i'm sure at the time that was a script choice but it also probably was like a producing choice of like if we're going to do a horror movie in 1980s we got it right at the top we got to get people's attention well i know that was how the short story opened yeah. So that was, it, it was written in, it was baked in that you open on the Cenobites. Yeah. So even with this 2022 opening, we know like Pinhead is the cover of the poster on Hulu for Hellraiser. So they're going to toy it a little bit. And the opening in 2022, we associate subconsciously chains with the Cenobites. So we're going to tease all the chains and then we're going to show this thing in the sky that void looks up to and then we're going to cut to the title card and it's like ooh, hellraiser like we've seen the chains we're seeing some kind of sacrifice with the box where are the cinnabites then we don't see the cinnabites until i believe the 40 minute mark right there is a lot of time spent without any horror and just with these unlikable characters oh my god and even like when characters go away and they die we get maybe a glimpse of a cinnabite but we don't even like see them really until minute 40 and then we don't really talk to them or hear them talk until i believe we paused it again it was like an hour in the first in the original they are always shown together or it doesn't really matter they're all representative of the same thing they're almost one entity because i feel like it, they are seen so seldom in this one, they're seen so often and they're trying so hard to give the pinhead character a voice specifically that it would have made more sense to have their introduction be more of a narrative. But instead, they're still used interchangeably. Even pinhead is. Yeah. And... Because she just says the... Pinhead in 2022 just says the same stuff that pinhead says in 1987. Well, I mean interchangeably among themselves, too. Oh, yeah. it, like, anyone could be talking. It doesn't matter. They yeah. don't have their own distinct personalities. Yeah, because at the end, they're like in different rooms but it, they present it as if Riley's still talking to Pinhead even if it's through this one exactly with yeah. the barbed wire or whatever that's unfortunate I thought that it I don't think it's clear in any of the sequels like clearly established but I was led to believe that they all have their own personalities when it's it seems like they're all just extensions of one consciousness well even personalities are just distinct looks right like well that's the thing too that all of these cinnabites look very similar yeah similar and also just the same kind of like it's almost like if you had silly putty and you just had to make like four different things but it's the same silly putty where i felt the difference it, it felt like four or five different people in that 1987 like maybe these were all people or something at one point and then 
then they've been turned into these like grotesque kind of beasts. I was going to say it seemed like each a, a different person designed each Cenobite in the yeah. 80s. And this one, it seems like the same person designed one. They had like two or three ideas and then they just made 10 out of those three different ideas. They should have gave them at least one sunglasses. They didn't give any. I like the sunglasses one in the 1987. I one. was going to say that. Yeah, they're, one. They're, they distinctly copy Pinhead, Chatterer, and the, the one that's just called the female. Yeah. Um, but the big one with the with the shades who's always like licking his lips during the exposition. Mm-hmm. He's uh, they don't do anything with a character design like that. And he's one of my favorites from but, the original. But that's why I like it and there's something about reboots in this new 20s era it's almost like producers producers are deciding like what's messed up or what's disturbing and and they're confusing gore with disturbing maybe because they have these new cinnabites where it's all skin and flesh it's peeled back and it's nails and it's almost like a parent described like oh isn't that messed up whereas and it's like no actually give me somebody that makes me feel disturbed Look at this disgusting, like I'm disgusted by this thing that's got sunglasses on and a leather jacket. That's <laughs> in 1987. Whereas in it feels like all these like Cenobites in 2022 are a little bit fetishized. Where they're not where they're presented as being messed up, but they all have like clean, smooth skin yeah. and it's just their skin in a way where they're like, Well, Hellraiser is about sexual fetishes, right? So we should make the Cenobites more like clean. But that's the thing is they're not they're sexualized. Not. So it's like you'd have that cleaner side of it but then you're not replacing it with anything it's you could ask this question to two people you could ask it to someone who doesn't like hellraiser and someone who does like hellraiser yeah. the, the original the question is what are the most disturbing parts of the movie the person who doesn't like hellraiser would say the cinnabites they would say pinhead the person who does like hellraiser would say frank his regeneration scene when he when it's first starting and it's all that stop motion and the engineer, which is the creature that chases Kirsty well, through the hallways. I think those are both examples of disturbing and being gratuitous. Those right? Those add to character and they add to world. The the Frank's regeneration adds to his character, and then the engineer adds to the world. When you just focus on these Cenobites and you're not doing anything, you're not giving them their own narrative, you're not doing anything to develop them, you're just stagnating. Well, so you you can't then do anything with them physically or grotesquely that will make them creepy because the creepy factor needs to be attached to something we care about which is like i said character or world backstory when it's just these cinnabites that are essentially i you said they're fetishized i think they're neutered so when it, you have these well that's neutered, but yeah but that's why i think they're neutered is because they're fetishized okay sure but when you have these neutered cinnabites they just keep putting more emphasis on them when they need to be focusing on something else they they take everything it's like a vampire they take every Every bit of creative energy and put them into the Cenobites. The characters don't have emotion. They don't have attachments or connections. It's all all the energy is going to the Cenobites. But then that's all for nothing because the Cenobites themselves don't have any emotion or deeper connection to any lore or element of the story. It's because they're not that disturbing to look at either. Like, well, that's why. It's because why would they be disturbing? There's no other connection other than the fact that they just have their skin peeled back. I think it also comes from a directing standpoint because I think in order to get these themes across, so like you just gave the example of Frank regenerating for the first time and just holding on that. And it's almost like, you know, it's disturbing watching a body go back into existence or life from nothing through with like blood and like tissue and all this kind of stuff. Or it's watching all these physical nails and hooks go into somebody's yeah. skin and rip them apart. Are you talking about the original? I'm talking about the original That's the right thing, now. Is the and skin looks so fake. 
but it feels so real because there's that tangible element. But I think that's what is disturbing about that movie. So when they were talking about what makes the Cenobites disturbing and what makes like just this whole Hellraiser thing disturbing, producers nowadays are thinking like it's, and that's why I say they're fetishizing it. They're just like, ooh, it's just like the skin, skin and peel back and all this stuff. And it's like, the no, nerves. it's showing us all these things. It's not just implying it through CGI and having people run away crying. You know, it's like literally ripping people apart yeah. and holding on shots that are disgusting to look at and that's how you I think you create a memorable feeling with a horror movie is when you're not really the plot is almost it's almost interesting that they're giving you a plot when they're giving you such disturbing imagery yeah and that's what makes you like the movie this one the story's not interesting but they also don't even get like the monster right I think they do a good job with how they portray the violence the pulling the people apart with chains it makes sense in the original because it's a bookend. You open up with Frank getting torn apart with chains, you end with Frank getting torn apart with chains. Other than that, chains aren't used in the original. In this one, that's their calling card. Everyone's getting torn apart by chains. And it sucks that it's so redundant, and it also sucks because they only show it right like once or twice out of five times uh, when Nora gets torn apart, or at least like her, the moment before her death. Uh, that was a good... That's what sucks is Nora's such a shitty character, but she probably had like one of the more interestingly shot deaths. But, that, but that's what I don't like about this. Cinnabites is I don't like the fact in this reimagining that they want sacrifices. Like, well, do you want to talk about how they don't even want human sacrifices? They'll just even, like, if they yeah, sacrifice they even take themselves. themselves, essentially. Chatterer, Chatterer has a canon death now. Well, they're just, they're so pigeonholed by the box. Like, they work for the box. And the box's rules are almost more important than the Cenobites' rules. And that's, I, that's kind of in the lore, because the idea is the box is representative of a, of a god. I like the fact that it's like, okay, you have to do eight configurations, then you get wish i like that from a character standpoint but i don't like that from a cenobite standpoint mm -hmm. because then the cenobites essentially their job they're genies they're trapped by yeah, the, genies. The, the device yeah and they have to do these things and they just ran a wish at the end i always took the cenobites in 1987 at least as being like no this is just what they do and you can access them if you get the right combination down on this box and then they'll show up and they're almost like independent contractors well that's the thing too and that's within, more interesting in, in the reboot it's a thing where it's like they're pursuing people they're like yeah they'll, they'll go out and find people where in the original way the box works, it waits for someone to solve the puzzle. And well, in this one, they're like helping the humans solve the puzzle. Yeah, and I mean, also in 1987, they present us this like homeless person that's actually like a bone pterodactyl that is also apparently like the the Korean man in the beginning of the movie. It's like what he's like, he some kind of harbinger. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, what's your desire? So I don't know. Those are just those kind of open those kind of beginnings and endings like make more sense bookend wise. Whereas in I don't really, always best i know but it's like i don't understand why these what these cinnabites actually like want and also i don't care about what they want so really yeah they just are presented as like genies which, which is okay it's it doesn't necessarily make them lesser if they're essentially just there to service the characters but the problem is these characters suck the only character that doesn't suck is void which which is, it makes sense at least they it seems like they knew that and that's why they ended the movie with his transformation into a cinnabite mm -hmm. but it's like he's the only character that makes sense because at least he's driven by his pursuit his, his addiction as well he power. doesn't know what it's for yeah. he doesn't know it's for power until he guesses wrong yeah but that's the only thing because the other characters are just stumbling around reacting to plot happening around them he's instigating everything 
Well, it's just weird because it's like my complaint about the first time watching Hellraiser 1987 was there's no pinhead. And they give you, I would say, more pinhead in the second half of this movie of the 2022 version. But it's just not interesting because, like I said, it's just... Nothing happens in the first half of this one and then too much happens in the back half. I just, you know, like when there's that scene where Riley's on her knees crying, like always, but she's on her knees crying. The one Cenobite stuck between the doors. You've got... Uh, over Trevor. Trevor also on the ground bleeding by the switches for the doors. I like that we know who the hot guy is. Whatever. And you've got, uh, you know, uh, chesty Mick, uh, wind-up toy in the middle just like monologuing uh, with Pinhead. I'm just looking at all this stuff and i'm just like there's so much happening but like I, who cares I, I feel like this would be really interesting if this was done in like a theater on like a stage play yeah and with like dramatic music swelling like almost if it was like a phantom of the or opera a musical, yeah. yeah like a musical type well it's like because the whole point too is she sacrifices or uh colin matt's boyfriend gets stabbed so he's the sacrifice and then she changes it to make it trevor right or am i missing yeah to make the that? final stab trevor which also which gave, why well it's she also, she has no connection to colin matt's well, boyfriend colin also didn't like betray her i mean trevor's the reason why matt's essentially dead because i she, know but trevor feels bad about it he well this went, whole movie is about her not forcing pain onto others that doesn't and, and, that wasn't and, a crime. and she knows that she can sacrifice cinnabites instead of humans so when when she goes after Trevor, she is just negating any character growth that yeah. she, she might have accidentally undertaken. But that theme of Riley hurting others around her, that was not, I don't think, reinforced enough or portrayed enough to where I got that. I really That's just, definitely something that the writer thought was there because I clocked it. I don't think there was enough examples to earn that because... Well, then I'll, I'll tell you what. That's, she only that's does, the only prevalent theme. There's nothing besides that. She only does drugs once. And when she does, it's by happenstance that she plays with the box. And Matt even dies by happenstance, but we never actually see clear examples for hurting these loved ones. We don't get I think that. it's implied. It's only implied through her sleeping with Trevor and them judging her for trying to have a relationship while being in rehab. That is such a weak example of showing somebody not taking care of themselves. Well, to be fair, I think Matt Exposition says... Well, she also doesn't have the money, but she's but she's trying. We They give us a character at the top of this movie that we believe at face value is trying. She's only considering doing this robbery with Trevor after Matt forces her hand. <laughs> by making her pay rent? Well, but by, by like yelling at her and like threatening like to kick her out and stuff it's just i don't think it's there i don't think those pieces are there and it's like if you're going to do a hellraiser reboot or reimagining the least you could do is have characters where they actually lean into their vices in 1987 even if i don't agree with that story i like the fact that julia is like driven by lust you know what i mean and that she does bad things riley in 2022 to be honest i really think the girl needs a break i don't think she does done that's the thing is yeah she, she keeps trying to do better and she keeps failing but it's not her fault it's i don't not think she has flaws. a good support system she, to be yeah, honest well it's it's she's being manipulated it ends up she's being manipulated by her boyfriend so right there that those are the themes of the movie manipulation and stuff but that's not but explored. when the but when the cinnabites show up exactly it's not explored the cinnabites show up and then it becomes they make about, it about her hurting people you would think that matt was in was in charge of these cinnabites with the way that they're trying to, oh yeah like, guilt her guilt her into this because she really doesn't do like anything bad uh-huh. you know so i don't know like i i just think that it's it's just kind of weak they should have given her like one big point where it's like she was like the reason she was in rehab was because she hit a homeless person with her car while she was driving intoxicated how about she accidentally like hit matt's original like fiance yeah or something like that you know what i mean and then and like he lost the love of his life because of his sister's drug addict like they were all in the car together on a trip and she crashed the car yeah and he died and then she's living with that guilt 
Yeah. And, then, and then that's the reason why he's even harder on her. And the reason why she can't really fight back is because, well, if I say something back to him, like I'm the reason why we're even in this situation so in when the first she, place. when he kicks her out, she ha- feels like she has to go. And then it's even more interesting dynamic with the new boyfriend being there. Because, because she'll feel that guilt every she'll time feel that he's there. Every time he's there. And he's also in an awkward p- position because he's joining this family. He loves Matt, but he's also aware of what's going on with it. So he doesn't know who to be supportive to. Yep. So as always on this uh, reboot review, we ask three altered questions that lead to a final decision. And the first question is, does it work as a reboot? It's hard because I'm trying to imagine what this movie would be like if I didn't see the original, how how I would feel about it. I would say it doesn't work as a reboot because even if you don't know the Hellraiser, original Hellraiser lore, I don't think there's enough of a horror movie in this 2022 version that's even interesting. I don't think it's very scary. And there's also just, it's just not that intriguing of like, ooh, the mystery of the box. What does the box mean? So yeah, I don't think it works as a reboot because it's just very blah. I think it does work as a reboot, but it's asterisky. I feel like this works in intention as a reboot because I do think it does enough with the lore, not the characters of the Cenobites, not the characters, the humans, the mortals, but like at the very least with the world building. But then when you have the execution, that all gets muddled by the fact that I don't care about anyone who's on screen. It succeeds in premise, but fails in execution as a reboot, which to me is a check because at least they tried. Well, even with like the practicality of the world, like it's far scarier when we're seeing practical sets like walls opening up. They kind of had that. They had a couple of them, but I feel like every time, because this is almost like with the Thing prequel, they did probably a lot of practical stuff on set and then they punched it up with CGI after the fact. And that just makes it look kind of weird. It just looks like CGI. It doesn't look like it. Now there's a couple practical shots, even with that device that's in Voight's body that I thought were pretty cool. Even CGI shots when he was, his like heart was coming back into place that I thought were cool. Yeah. When they were doing more intricate stuff with the CGI, I thought it was, you know, interesting. But for the most part, it was just kind of boring. It wasn't really scary. The way bringing that up, yeah, I forgot about like those visuals. There's some good CG, there's some okay CGI in this where it's, you forgive the shakiness of it because the idea it's so good it's showing us the complete reformation of his body after this device is removed anything that's good about this movie is in the void character yeah everything else if if void's not in the scene the movie sucks that sounds like it's going to get a check and an x for the first question so the next question is going to be is it enjoyable slash entertaining in its genre once again we're doing halloween movies we're only doing one this year but you know it's a horror movie so is it entertaining in its genre and i'll just be quick about this i don't think it's enjoyable slash entertaining I think that it's directed well. There's some set pieces that look good. The acting is pretty good for the most part. The biggest problem is really the script and it's really the CGI. So yeah, it's going to get an X for me. It's not enjoyable slash entertaining. It's going to be an X for me too. At the end of the day, if I'm telling you that your characters are too unemotional, then you've got a big problem. Yeah. I, I will excuse unemotional characters for anything, but there is no reason to excuse them for this. There's no, there's nothing else that they're trying to do instead. It's just a void. It's a void of emotion. And it would be okay. It, it, it's so weird. Because like I said, I can I, I keep connecting this emotionally to the Martyrs reboot. Where it just feels like they just needed to shoot something. And it's okay if you have boring, bland characters as long as Why they're... does this take place in a mansion? Well, but it, that's it, what It's I'm... Hellraiser. But that's why I'm saying, like, it's okay if your characters are boring if you present us, like, an interesting situation, interesting monster, or it's just going to be, like, a gore fest of watching people get killed. That's totally fine. But, yeah, I mean, even that's not really there. They... So. they uh, 
it seems like they took the gore fest option with this and that's not a good option to take with hellraiser so that sounds like it's going to get two x's so the final question is going to be altered from our back again podcast and instead of does it need to exist it's going to be does it stand on its own can you watch this movie without having uh the nostalgia from 1987 is it too reliant on it um can it be its own kind of standalone movie and you can go first on this one because I still want to think about it. No, it does not stand on its own, in my opinion. Ultimately, my explanation would be I do not think that it stands on its own because it is not enjoyable. The only reason that I think we put up with it was because we watched it in context with the original. Yeah. And I was I was watching it in the context of the entire series because I have seen all, whatever, 10 of these sequels or movies that are in the core saga the bar with those is so low and my expectations with this going in were so low that I like it was set to get a good review from me and it's still just like barely like this is there are probably a good amount of sequels in the Hellraiser saga that are better than this reboot. So like with this one, it could have stood on its own because they were introducing the new configurations and how this was all about working up towards a wish. They did good world building. They did yes. good world stuff, but then they didn't have those characters and those themes there to reinforce why they would be in this situation. They had nothing else. And for that, then it's just a generic horror movie. And then when it's not enjoyable slash entertaining, when it doesn't work as a reboot, yeah, it doesn't stand on its own because it's not finding it's not finishing its voice that it's trying to do yeah. and it's not doubling down on it it feels very low budget and it feels i mean and keep in mind like i i do think it's directed well i do think it looks pretty good and i think the acting's okay but it does not stand on its own enough and i think that this is going to be pretty forgettable so for that you know i'm going to give it an x as well i honestly don't think it feels low budget it just doesn't feel like there was any passion for the original source material i don't mean to say negativity when i say low budget i think if no anything, i know i get what you mean i don't think it looks cheap no it's impressive i think for having a low budget so if you're doing that math at home it's going to be five x's and one check so it is not worth bringing back as always, everyone, thanks so much for listening and for watching. If you like this episode, you can like, subscribe, comment below. You can check out all our episodes of Reboot Review and the Back Again podcast available wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also watch these reviews with videos on YouTube at What A Guy Productions. I hope everybody has a spooky Halloween time this year. Definitely check out some spooky movies, but you do not need to check out Hellraiser 2022. And outside of that, you got anything else to add, Drew? Your suffering has barely begun. All right, everyone, happy Halloween, and we'll see you next time.